0: All right, guys. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, I'm joined with Cade Barrett and Jason Pritchard. Today, we're talking about their recent flip on Deering. A lot of you guys might have seen on Facebook. We're gonna go over kind of how that project went, any pitfalls that came up, and uh, some of the closing numbers. How you guys doing?
1: Doing
2: pretty good, man.
0: I'm how are doing. you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thank right. you for having me on the uh, the podcast again. Yeah. Appreciate Third, it. third time. Third time, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, you practically co-host this thing at that That's point. right. That's right. Man. <laughs> well, cool uh right now we're kind of in between seasons we wanted to bring you guys on chat a little bit about kind of how your guys's flip uh just went on Deering here in fresno um can you guys tell us a little bit so first off you guys want to explain uh how you found the deal yeah so i'll rewind a little
2: bit and scott you can kind of touch upon this a little bit too because i think a big it, the source of this deal was referral it, it came from uh my soi And I think a big part of our goals towards the end of 2020 was putting more quality content and posts out on social media, Mm -hmm. kind of letting people know what we're doing, how we're doing it and stuff like that. So, um, one of my family members called me up around October and said, Hey, um, you know, I've been seeing all this stuff you've been posting on social media. I know you and your team do a lot of investment stuff here in town. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've got an agent one of my agents at my brokerage with this property, total hoarder house seems like it'd be a good investment property for you guys. Would you be interested in checking it out? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest part for this was taking, it was actually Jason's advice to the two of us was putting out more quality content and sharing that to everybody. Um, so special shout out to my family member real quick, Craig Barton, uh, broker and owner of Valleywide homes who brought that deal to us. Um, and then shoot, we ended up making an offer, closing on it, and and getting started right away on it. So yeah, uh, it was kind of cool how all the pieces how all the pieces fell together for getting that thing started. Yeah,
1: and, and I think the the huge piece from what you said right now, Cade, the the takeaway for everybody is you can't be afraid to put out what it is that you're doing. And I think so many people struggle with that at the beginning. I know that I did because you have a fear of judgment and you have all this self doubt and all these other Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, issues that you're struggling with internally. And this is a perfect example of what happens when you're just sharing and you ask for what you want. Right. And you're putting out like, Hey, I'm looking for more of these properties and you just don't, you don't really realize who's actually watching and who's paying attention to what you've got going on. And referrals are a huge part of my business. And a lot of it comes from just people engaging with me on my social media and the other things that I've got going on, and it just leads to these different types of opportunities. So yeah. I think um, you know, so many people focus on marketing and direct-to-seller marketing and all these paid channels, which are great, and, and we all do that stuff too, but um, you know, you don't tap into this one resource that is usually can be the one of the most powerful ones that I think people uh, neglect sometimes.
0: Yeah, and both of you guys have experienced this. I'm curious, because you already mentioned, you shouted out that Craig is a realtor himself. He's a broker. He's an owner. You know, both of you guys have worked with realtors who could have sold a the property themselves. I mean, what's been your guys' experience? Why is it that they go to you guys instead of just selling it themselves?
1: I think it's a combination of just a lack of vision sometimes, and they don't know necessarily how to put some of the puzzle pieces together to get a house. That house was in really bad shape. Um, so you, go, you walk into something like that and it's very intimidating, right? And mm-hmm. I can remember going into the first properties that I, I bought that were hoarder houses and just being really like, wow, what are you gonna do with this? But yeah. now, like I know as soon as you spend a few thousand bucks and clean all that stuff out, it's like a blank slate and it's really easy to get the ball rolling, right? So yeah. I think it's fear, it's a lack of vision. Um, a lot of times agents and brokers, I think, just kind of stay in their comfort zone and in their lane and they're yeah. used to just helping people buy and sell and transact. And that's one of all, that's one of the things that's always kind of struck me as funny uh, because I started on the investment side and then I got licensed and I've always been curious why more agents are not active investors. Um, And I think it it ties back to those things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think, excuse me, in this specific case too, um, it kind of fell back on the seller. So a little bit of background about the property too. Um, it was a daughter who inherited the property from her mother who passed away. Like we were saying, it was a total hoarder house. Daughter was kind of, um, from what you know, the agent was telling us, you know, stressed out, didn't really know what to do with the property didn't want anything to do with it at this point Mm -hmm. and just kind of wanted to get rid of it and quick right so and i think that's something we always preach when we're talking with sellers and taking that consultative approach is you know yeah you can go the listing route and you know typically what we're seeing you know minimum 30-day escrow getting it on the market you know it's a longer process this one i think we closed in Shoot, obviously less than 30 days, um, all cash. You know, the sellers didn't have to pay any commissions or closing yeah. costs or anything like that. So I think that was key for this point, too, um, for them going with us as opposed to going the listing route, too, was just gotcha. the ease and convenience for them.
1: Yeah. And sellers in that situation typically, they don't, I don't, because the house is in the condition that they're in, I think there's some embarrassment and they just don't want. A, a, a line of people, even if it's investors kind of walking through the property and those type of things, they just want somebody that can make the process right. easy, right? And uh, that's that's a value that I think that we bring as an investor yeah. is we, not just a, a price, but that works for everybody, but also just the convenience of a seamless transaction where you don't have to do anything, you don't have to make any repairs, no cleanup, that, that helps in those types of situations.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I agree. I have a couple of different clients that are constantly coming by who ask for that exact thing where it's almost it's almost an embarrassment maybe of the condition, but where the convenience of not having people coming through the property for this that or the other reason you know it, it is a service in itself. Um, Kate, you did a lot of the upfront kind of scoping out the house. Can you describe what it looked like when you first walked through? I mean, you posted it on Facebook it looked like it was pretty gnarly. Yeah, so um, the inside you know when,
2: when I say hoarder house and, and, and when you guys were listening, think of your typical hoarder house, you know, multiply it by 10. This this property was that bad. Um, You know, the, the side front door, we couldn't even get in the front door. Um, They had two by fours from the inside um, screwed in. So we couldn't even, didn't even have access. Um, We had to kick down the side door and you, you could barely even see the floor. You know, this place was filled at the top with trash. Um, you know, old furniture, clothing, just, Mm. just a bunch of nasty stuff from top to bottom, every single room. Um, and, and and it looked rough. The backyard was in similar shape. There was a bunch of trash in the backyard too. Obviously a ton of overgrown, um, landscaping. So you couldn't even really walk around the backyard either. So this thing
0: was in really, really tough shape. Yeah. What was it? Was it occupied or how long had it been vacant? I believe, I think it had been
2: vacant for at least a year. It might've been a little bit more, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was vacant. Like I was saying, the mom had passed away. The daughter had inherited the property and it was just sitting vacant, which with with what I would assume was kind of majority of the mother's belongings. Um, And what we had learned from the agent and the seller too was in that period of time, a lot of people were breaking in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had a lot of squatters and stuff going in and, you know, obviously putting all their own stuff in there too. So it was just accumulating all,
0: all this nasty stuff yeah. for a long period of time. Gotcha. We had a lot of different, uh, struggles with kind of just break-ins. I mean, Jason, you and I had multiple different properties that had a lot of different, uh, kind of not necessarily theft. They just broke in yeah. and they would just squat there. I mean, what was your experience? I think last year was kind of a unique year with, With the way that the world was moving, what was your experience with that?
1: Uh, I think it's just cost of doing business. I'm so kind of desensitized to that stuff happening. We have, uh, you know, we just have a you know a problem here with the homeless population and transients and uh, different things. And vacant properties are just magnets for for those types of issues. And so I don't remember having many issues with break-ins at that particular property. Um, And I think sometimes it's just luck of the draw. You know, when it's been People squatting and breaking in usually, even after you clear all the stuff out, mm-hmm. there's usually continuous issues with them coming back and still trying to get in. But I don't think that we we really had any issues with that on this one, so we just got lucky. I have other houses that, yeah, you know, you just you would never think that you would have it, and then you get people in there every single day, you know. And so, you know, it's luck of the draw. You have to budget for those types of things and set a contingency yeah. in there, and um, you know, just realize that you know it's going to happen, and it's uh, it's the cost of doing business when you're a yeah. real estate investor
0: gotcha. Now uh, when you said you you got a kind of budget for it, it's a good segue. I'm curious cuz you guys looked at the property, it came as a referral. At first you were looking at it as potentially maybe a wholesale deal or a deal where it was a shorter term transaction. Then you decided that you wanted to close on it. How was that decision made? I mean, what what was kind of some of the deciding factors that led to that?
2: Yeah, I had when I when the deal was first brought to me, I I sat down with Jason and kind and had that conversation with him. Um, and the biggest thing for us when deciding, and for me, when deciding whether or not we kind of wanted to make it a short term transaction and you know, wholesaling it or, Mm -hmm. or wholetailing it or something like that, as opposed to doing a flip, um, was just keeping those relationships intact and not, you know, putting those relationships at risk, you know, having this be a referral, um, from a from a family member uh, with one of his agents in his office um, I, I think the biggest thing for for me obviously was just keeping that relationship intact wholesaling um, you know a, a lot of wholesalers get a bad a bad rap um, a lot of you know investors do too um, but I think the best case scenario for us and the best decision was just holding on to this for yeah. a flip and I think it worked out in our favor with how the market was moving anyway yeah and so
1: the reason why. To to just piggyback off Cade's comment, the the reason why we like one of the reasons why you decide to close is then we can relist it with the agent that brought us the deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's if you just if you end up wholesaling it or doing some other quicker uh, option to get out of it, sometimes they can't be. There's no financial incentive for the listing agent or the agent that brings you the deal in those types of transactions. Um, so. You know, that's not going to always make or break the decision, but it's a determining factor. Right. And so the numbers have to make sense. Um, You know, how much pressure and time and stress is it going to put on the systems and the other team members that are involved? Do we have the available contractors to do everything? Um, You know, all of those kind of things Mm -hmm. go into it. But You know, this is very much a relationship business and I always like to reward people uh, and uh, entice them to continue to do future business with us. And I think the best way to do that, especially in this business, is financially. So if you can, absolutely, um, you know, they can represent us as the buyers on the purchase and they can be compensated and then also represent us on the sale when the house is done. I think that's a great way to do that.
0: Yeah. Now, you do a lot of different business, Jason. I mean, you go... You've, you've wholesale property, you've flipped property, you've maintained property as a rental, and then you've done kind of anything in between. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a property like this, how did you run your numbers and how did you kind of – because you obviously you guided Cade. This is Cade's first personal flip. You've done a lot over the last six years what were the, the numbers that you guys are the key metrics you were looking at when you guys took this property on? I
1: think on these ones, I always try to be extra conservative with our rehab numbers, uh, because there's just so many surprises that are going to come up. So what, you know, what Kate said about the property, like barely even being able to walk through the property. I mean, it was mm-hmm. true. I didn't walk through it, but I saw the video from when you guys did your initial walkthrough and it's, not impossible, but it's really hard to get like a number, a rehab number that's dialed in because you just don't really know what's lying underneath all of that stuff. Right. And in this particular case, I think it actually helped us because we ended up being able to add some value by adding a a bathroom into the, into the master that really helped us push the sales price on Mm -hmm. it. Um, But to just go back to your question, I like to be conservative. I like to budget for absolutely everything. And then if we're able to cut some costs somewhere, then that's just a bonus for us. And that's yeah. actually what ended up happening in this particular deal. Cause I think we were projecting a lower profit margin initially. Yeah. And we had to be okay with that going into it. And I think, you know, we had budgeted for, I remember budgeting for stucco on the whole outside of the house. For a house like that, it would have cost like 6,000 bucks. Yeah. And we are actually able to salvage the siding. The siding wasn't as bad as we thought as, as it was. And we right. repaired and replaced a couple pieces and just painted and right. that saved us five grand. So like things like that yeah. really add up, you know? And so I think it's always better to do it that way. The biggest mistake that I make or I see new investors making is they overestimate what they're gonna sell the property for and they underestimate how much it's gonna cost to actually get it to the point where they can right. sell it. And those types of things, even if it's, you know you underestimate your rehab by five or ten grand and you overshoot your sales price by five or ten grand that's a twenty thousand dollar variance and if that's it goes, a deal and then your whole deal is, yeah. is sideways you know so it's always better to to be conservative at the beginning and then you know uh you know uh get a good surprise versus uh you know versus the opposite
0: so then when you have the conversation with the seller i don't know who negotiated necessarily with craig and his client or who had the conversation with the seller I mean, you just mentioned that a lot of sellers underestimate the rehab and a lot of investors overestimate the final sales price. How does the conversation go with the seller on this conversation? I mean, were they pretty receptive? It seemed like you guys got it for a decent price. Yeah, like like I was
2: touching on earlier, at least, um, you know, all, our, all of my communication was through the agent via the seller. So I never spoke to the seller directly just because mm-hmm. the seller had a direct relationship with the agent. Right, right. Um, this was just one of those situations where the seller was just exhausted and tired of the property. They, they just wanted to make whatever they could, right? They weren't. Um, they recognized the situation. They, de- yeah. So they really recognized. They had been to the property. They took some personal belongings out of the property, so they saw firsthand because you know sometimes sellers, you know, if they're holding a property and they've had it as a rental or they live. Um, out of town, they really don't get to see the really nasty shape that some of these properties are in. Right, they had gone to the property, they saw, you know, what kind of tough shape it was in. Yeah. Um, they understood, obviously, um, at least, you know, that it needed a lot of work at, at yeah. bare minimum. So, yeah, um, we didn't really get a lot of pushback on that end. They just wanted to be done with it, okay. and you know, that's what we came in to to create that win-win situation for everybody.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, those types of houses honestly I feel like are easier to negotiate than ones that are more just cosmetic fixers because you know like I don't you don't even really have to say anything like the house speaks for itself. The condition right. of the house kind of speaks for itself right. and it does the negotiating for you because there's no salvaging anything that's Nobody in Nobody wants right? to Yeah, do it. so no. So, you know, going in, it's like, listen, I've, I've got to haul all of this stuff. We've got to clean it out. Then we're going to redo the entire house because you can't really keep anything there. Right. And that's
0: what we did with that. Like we basically gutted the entire place. And you changed walls. Like you yeah, said, you yep. added a bathroom. Was yeah. it, can you explain that process, how you came up with that idea?
1: Uh, I think everybody wants open floor plans. Open floor plans are what, are, are what sells. And so um, when we can, we try to do our best to reconfigure layouts in a way where it doesn't blow the budget, but also, um, you know, adds to the things that buyers want in this market, right? And so some of these older houses, I can't remember how old this house is, but they're compartmentalized, they're walled off, there's all these different things that worked 50, 60 years ago that now doesn't work, right? And so um, we always try our best to, um, within the constraints of the, the, the budget that we're working with, try to uh, open up the house and make it look and feel as brand new as we can. So, mm-hmm. you know, it meets the demands of what buyers want in this market.
0: Yeah. And Cade, do you want to explain the what you got, how you guys came up with the idea for the extra bathroom and everything like that? Yeah. So this house was originally
2: three bedroom, one bath. Um, the master bedroom had two closets. So all three of the bedrooms had, you know, your typical um, you know, like sliding door closets, you know, on on one of the walls. Uh, but this master bedroom had an additional like add add on like walk-in closet. And obviously when we bought it, this, it it was filled with clothes, you know, all over the place. But, um, when we were walking through it, we saw it was, you know, obviously a decent size, right? Like if we were thinking about changing it into anything, it wasn't going to be a crammed bathroom or anything like that. um, and so jason and i we sat down and we talked and we said you know what's some ways we can maximize the value of this place when we go obviously when we're done to sell it back on the market so obviously this room doesn't need two closets so either one um you know we we could have kept both closets and and kept it like that and put it back on the market just like that we could have closed off the sliding door closets and and kept the walk-in closet or which you know the the majority of add on value when you go and you're doing these fix and flips and reselling is if you're able to add another bedroom or if you're able to add another bathroom. Yeah. So when we see this space, this, you know, big walk in closet space, we've already got one closet. We sat down with, you know, a couple of the contractors we had going and bid the property and we just said, Hey, what's it going to take to change this into a second bathroom? And, um, they came back and said, yeah, you know, no big deal. We'll be able to get this thing done. And I think at that point it was kind of a no brainer for us yeah. just to kind of make that swap into the second bathroom and make that the master bathroom.
1: Yeah. It really changes the dynamic of the whole house and buyers that would not have even looked at it because it was only a three bedroom. So buyers with families, for example, right? right? So if you're a husband and wife and you got a couple kids, it makes it really hard to make one bathroom work for everybody. Right. right. And so um the fact that you added the ma- added the bathroom the fact that it was in the master and so then now it's a true master suite and the fact that like typically these older houses they don't have these humongous closets that was a really like it had a whole closet then it was like almost like a small room so it made it like super easy to do the layout it didn't feel cramped or no, it didn't like all. it didn't feel like it was forced it felt like it was meant to go there and so you know i i wouldn't be surprised if uh you know, like more of the houses there were three bedroom, two baths, and then for whatever reason, that one just didn't. You know, they didn't do it. Um, right. But it was really easy. The house was on a race foundation, so it was easy to get the plumbing underneath there, um, and it didn't really cost a lot of money, and it added uh, a ton of value because I think, yeah. you know, we were projecting to resell it like what like two hundred and forty or two hundred and fifty or something yeah. like that, and then I, I think we ended up listing it for two hundred and seventy. So you yeah, know, they, and it didn't cost us more than five or six grand to do the bathroom. Yeah. So that you know, there's a fifteen thousand uh, dollar addition right there, right? Wow. And that, and there's the math, honestly, because it's like the stucco's five grand, and then fifteen grand on the on the house. There's your twenty grand that you make an extra right there, or twenty grand, or the five grand, or the fifteen grand on the bathroom yeah. and the stucco. There yeah. Twenty grand.
0: So before we get to the numbers, I'm curious. You guys had some delays. You had some issues. Every project has them. Can you guys? Talk about it. I mean, Jason, you had a lot of projects going on between October and we're right now we're recording uh, on St. Patrick's Day, middle of March. Um, and so I'm curious, what what specific issues did you guys come up with with this property versus some of the other projects you were working on?
1: Um, I think we ran into a lot of issues. I think the biggest issue with the was the window. Delay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that was the first house that I that I can remember experiencing like a significant delay in windows. Um, and there's, there are things that are going to come up that are just completely outside of your control and we can't control COVID. Obviously we can't control delays or increases in building materials or when those things get delivered. And I guess just on that particular project was when I realized typically we like to get the orders, the windows ordered, like, you know, first week, um, you know, the contractor goes in, he's starting, they just send us measurements. We have a vendor, we send it to them and they order it. And it usually takes, you know, four to six weeks to get them. So the windows, we order them when we start and they're getting delivered at the end they pop them in and we're done and we're ready to go. Yeah. These ones were delayed I think like 8 weeks so we had finished the house and I think it sat for like almost a month or yeah. maybe longer than that. <laughs> wow. And we could have, you know, we had, you know, probably another 2500 bucks worth of holding costs just because we had to sit on a vacant house because we couldn't sell it with all these old windows that were yeah. gross and nasty it just didn't really make sense. You know, if it was one window that would be one thing. But it really changed the look of the entire house. I think new windows really add uh, 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 a lot of value, just not just in the look, but value to the house, too. So I didn't think it made sense to list it without yeah. having those there.
0: So that was really your biggest problem was just the window delays. I think so. Yeah. And besides that, it may, it may, maybe may. the appraisal issue was the other one.
2: Yeah. Um, the windows were the first thing. And I remember sitting down with Jason and having that conversation as to whether we should just list it as is and just tell the buyers, you know, hey, new windows will be in before the close of escrow or if we should hold off, uh, until we get those new windows in. And like Jason was saying, these rent, I mean the majority of the windows, I mean, they were old. Yes. But they were all broken. Like, you you know, they were in bad shape. Yeah. Someone could walk up in and, you know, stick half their body into the house because these windows were in such bad shape. So, um, that was a conversation we had, um, and I think, uh, obviously we, the biggest thing too is, you know, making the right impression on buyers when they're, yeah. when they're walking through the property, if they're going in and seeing all this, then they have less incentive to make an offer at or above asking price. Yeah. Too, so. This
1: market, we probably could have got away with it, but it, I think it, it doesn't present well on us. It doesn't look well, you know, for us. And so our, I think our reputation is always something that's really important. Um, and again, you just never know, you know, you, I don't know that we would have got the activity that we got yeah. because sometimes it can be hard for buyers to visualize like, oh, this is it. So it's going to be this big turn-off when you walk in. And then buyers that were maybe on the fence about submitting an offer, they may just be like, you know what, let's just wait. You know? And yeah. so I didn't I didn't want to yeah. risk that.
0: Yeah. And and uh, just like you were saying, it maybe it it derails confidence in the buyer too that you did quality work. Exactly. You know, especially when we spend a lot of extra time and effort making sure that we have, you know, contractors that go through and do good work. You know, we don't hire just you know some joe Schmo who who does stuff sloppily we try to make sure that we have pride of ownership yeah, of and course. pride of our work that's a good point um, you got into escrow can you guys tell us about that i mean you guys put it on the market it seemed like you guys had pretty good interaction from day one how did that whole process from putting it on the market all the way through the appraisal it sounded like maybe there was an issue there all the way through closing how did that go
2: yeah so we threw it on the market um, you know, we had an accepted offer, you know, let within less than a week, which is typically what we're you know, what we're seeing with the market yeah. that we've got going on right now. Right. Um, like Jason said, we we listed it just shy of two seventy. I think we put it up at 269.9. nine nine. Um we ended up going into contract, accepting an offer at two eighty two. Mm. Um escrow for the most part was smooth. You know, we got our um repair request list in. What did that um, look like? Yeah, I think that they, we had. Well,
1: I mean, it's simple stuff like things yeah. like with repair requests, I, I always want to address any health and safety issues. If mm-hmm. there was anything that we missed and sometimes things happen and you miss things, you know what I mean? And when, right. especially when you're doing this at scale and you've got contractors moving from job to job, like nobody's going to be perfect. So if it's something health and safety or something that we should have just done that didn't right. get done, we'll always do those. Um, but I think sellers now have a lot of leverage because of how uh, competitive the market is. So there can be requests now that, you know, before we would get laundry lists of things that would come in and now it's like three or four things. So I felt like the negotiation and the, the transaction with the buyers was really easy. Uh, we, I didn't really feel like there was a lot of pushback. It felt like we were all kind of on the same page as far as expectations. Cool. I don't think anything, uh, there was any issues there. I thought the biggest issue I felt was the appraisal. Um, but I think we knew coming in that we were shooting for the stars, anyways, with our list price. And then it, the fact that it got ran up 12,000 above what we even listed it at, you know, I mean, it's hard to be mad. You know what I mean? That, that it didn't hit the value because we, there wasn't really anything that
2: supported what did it come in at. Um,
1: so yeah, you want to go over the numbers?
2: Yeah. So, um, we accepted an FHA offer. That we actually had two appraisals on this property. So the first appraisal actually came in lower than our list price. It came in at two hundred sixty-five thousand, um, and then the second appraisal came in at two hundred seventy-three thousand. So our ended our contract price ended up being that that higher of the two appraisals at two seventy-three. Um, so that was our final selling price and closing price. Both FHA. Both FHA. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So with FHA. Buyers. So this is for all the investors out there. If you purchase a property and you resell the property for more than a hundred percent of what you paid for the property, then there's on FHA transactions, it's going to trigger two appraisals. So the lender is going to require two appraisals. And that's what happened with this. We bought it for 130 something. We listed it for 270. So right there, we're already over a hundred percent of what we paid for it. Right? right. So if you know going, if you know you're going to be a, uh, working with an FHA buyer, you can expect there to be two appraisals in that situation.
0: Is, what's What's the point of that? Is there is that just as a protection clause for the buyer? I think or? so. I mean, I don't really. I. I you're think, not in the lending business. Yeah. So,
1: so I think um, it's similar to that 90 day flip rule on FHA, where you have to wait for the title has to be seasoned for at least 90 days before you can go into contract with an FHA buyer. Um, I don't know that I think it, the intent is to protect the people getting into the property um, and also the lender probably too, just to make sure that there's right. two sets of eyes looking at it. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily see anything wrong with it. it. It adds some time to the transaction, having to wait for, for those things. Um, but again, like I knew going into it that we were really high on the price anyway. So had it come in, that would have been great. We would have made another $9,000, but I was still very happy with how yeah. How the dust settled on it, man.
2: Well yeah. perfect. We yeah. still ended up above above asking. Let's price. talk about the numbers. Yeah. So we bought this property uh, for hundred and thirty-three K right around there, like a hundred and thirty-three thousand, like one hundred bucks, something like that. Yeah. Um, obviously we end up we ended up selling it for that contract price of two hundred and seventy-three thousand. Um all in, our obviously, like we were saying, hoarder house. We added a bathroom, um, knocked down some walls, you know, closed off some walls, uh, you know, all in from our rehab, our holding costs, our closing costs, you know, paying out the commission to the agents, everything that goes into, you know, obviously flipping a house. Right. I think we were just around ninety thousand dollars all in for all that, okay. um, and then that left us with just just a tad over fifty one thousand mm-hmm. for our profit on oh, this shoot. deal. And yeah. you guys
0: were originally expecting something lower. You had mentioned fifteen grand and five grand. What was your initial expected profit?
2: I was just looking because I had po- I had posted um, on my Instagram stories when I was doing an, an initial walkthrough after we had gone into contract. Um, we were expecting around thirty to thirty-five k um, mm. I- initially with significant. with with a selling price of around that two fifty mark. Um, and then obviously, yeah, we we ended up quite a bit
0: above that. Yeah, um, so the house wasn't as
1: bad as we thought it was. And then adding the bathroom, well, those are the two things that really, that really yeah. saved us. So, and this
0: market's competition bid up the price. Exactly. I mean, maybe in some markets, would you have sold for 250? Or do you think that with the new bathroom, you really weren't gonna be at that price? Anymore? I think
1: the bathroom adds value no matter what. Okay. So I think, By adding that, for sure, that increases the list price. Um, But I think it's a combination. That was really the big piece, but then a combination of being able to save and salvage the exterior and the siding on the property versus having to do new stucco on the whole house was Mm -hmm. really helpful. Um, And, you know, I think the fact that there wasn't just, there wasn't, besides the window delay, there wasn't really a lot of big surprises that came up. You know, there wasn't really super big issues where it's like, okay. Because in a house like that, you could very easily like, have to redo all the electrical or the yeah. sewer lines bad or something is crazy right and it just throws Four, everything off by five grand you know what yeah. I mean and so it's just stuff like that that you don't you know that you don't really know what's gonna happen so
0: yeah well Jason I mean this is like uh, do you have an idea of how many flips you've done at this point in your career uh,
1: probably like 200 or close to 200 so this yeah. is
0: in in the mid you know hundreds to 200 yeah. range I mean your experience overall you know how would you rate it?
1: Uh, I thought it went great. I, I really enjoy doing deals like this where I don't have to tie up so much of my time. Um, mm-hmm. And I can leverage the things that I'm really good at, like raising money. And we've spent some time really refining over the years our, our processes when it comes to construction and project management. Mm-hmm. So... I didn't, I never even went out to the house, which for me, I enjoy Like I I'm kind of emotionally detached at this point from like having to go look at the properties and go there. I mean, I go there for marketing and different things, but uh, the only time I ever went to the property was when we went to go shoot the after video. That was it, you know? And um, uh, I like a big win. I, yeah, I like that. So it's me I can raise the money, and then I can plug it into kind of the assembly line that we've built to get the houses, you know, turned around. And yeah. you know, Cade can learn; he can get some, you know, financial reward out of it. He can see how we manage the processes. Um, so I felt like it was a big win all around for everybody.
0: And you do a lot of deals like this, where you work with people who. Either it's, you know, their first or there's somewhere between like that first and 10th deal where you're yeah. still learning the process. Yeah, right?
1: I would say, um, you know, 50 percent uh, of the deals that I get are just from my from networking and just, you know, people mm-hmm. coming to me. And I would say half of those deals are ones where similar to this. It's like, hey, I see all the cool stuff that you're doing. You know, I've got this deal. I know it's a good deal. I would really just prefer to work with somebody that knows what they're doing so I can operate with the safety net. And, you know, then we just have to come up with an equitable split of the responsibilities and, and the money. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, yeah. um, you know, if we can get there, then it's usually pretty easy.
0: So it sounds like a big win for you. Obviously, we're in the business of making win-win situations. Cade, sure. okay, this was your first personal flip. You've wholesale deals, you've managed flips or kind of helped with that process. What was your experience? I mean, it seems like this is a big milestone. Oh,
2: I mean, <laughs> that that would be... Yeah, even a huge understate, uh, you know, understatement. Um, obviously the value that I was able to get, you know, from being able to find the deal and, you know, bring it to Jason and have Jason, you know, be willing to partner with me on the deal. Um, you know, me be able to, to learn firsthand and learn the ropes, how all this project management goes, mm-hmm. how managing the contractors goes, how the rehab goes, just going to start. Like he was saying, you know, the assembly line from start to finish, being able to just sit front row and be hands on and learn, um, through that whole experience. I mean that, I mean that's priceless to me because now, you know, I can go out and, and ride this momentum and, and find more deals and, and do all this stuff and be able to take the experiences I learned from this and just, you know, skyrocket from there. So, um, Yeah. I mean, the value that that I got from, you know, from Jason and and from this deal is, I mean, priceless in my mind.
0: Yeah. And then you also, the whole point of closing on this was for the relationships. Yeah. I mean, what's, has anything procured since with Craig and with his team? Uh, How did that relationship end up? It sounds like they had a win too, because they serviced a client. They also got to list the property when it was done. They had a couple different transactions.
2: Yeah. And I, that's the big thing, right? Especially like Jason was saying earlier is providing that incentive for them to be able to do future business. Right. So, um, the, the agent who works for Craig, his name's Mark. Um, you know, Mark's already been door knocking a couple of the neighbors in the neighborhood where, um, the houses are in kind of similar shape to how this one was on Deering beforehand. He's been in contact with a couple sellers, um, in and around the neighborhood and, you know, both of them have, you know, had conversations with me. Um, they've called me and said, you know, Hey, let, let, let's let go find the next one. So yeah. that, I mean, that's, that, that's proof that's right hilarious. there. Exactly. So they're motivated. Um, we're both motivated. And I think, I mean, just having that, win-win relationship right there where everybody is able to benefit from each other i think it's huge
0: yeah yeah i mean that sounds like a like a triple win scenario even the seller one she uh yeah he or she got out of the property and it sounds like it was in pretty tough shape and the average you know joe might not know what to do with it so mm-hmm. sounds like overall a big win any final thoughts with the property now that you guys are done with it
2: no i think um You know, obviously, yeah, we had that little bit of delay with the windows. I mean, from start to finish, I think we bought this thing mid-October. We just closed in early March. So, obviously, a little bit longer turnaround time than we were expecting originally. But other than that, I mean, everything went really, really smooth. And like I was saying, um, super appreciative for Jason and and his team and to Craig and to Mark for, uh, you know, bringing this whole thing together and getting it across the finish line. So, Yeah. um, yeah. I'm I'm super happy with how everything went, and you know, obviously, really motivated to get out there and and you know, like I said, keep the ball rolling. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'd say that the biggest thing for me is I just enjoy I enjoy seeing you guys do well. I you know I'm I'm obviously kind of uh, I'm emotionally invested in your guys' success, right? So it's good yeah. to see you guys actually achieve this proof of concept on some of these things right because it's one thing if you're one degree of separation away from somebody that's doing all of this stuff so you see it and you know that it's possible but it's another thing for you to actually be involved and do it yourself and realize like wow like that wasn't really as hard as I thought and I've at the beginning I remember and I was just doing all of this on my own at the beginning that was the feeling that I always got after I kind of got through one of these projects or these hurdles and all of these things and it's like well, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. Like, there's no reason why I can't do more of this, you know? And so I think it's on you, Kate or Scott or whoever that's out there listening. Once you get that proof of concept, then it's how do I do that again? How do I take that and do that whole process again and do it faster? Right. And then how do I do two of them at the same time? And then how do I start a team and do five of them at the same time? You know what I'm saying? And then that's kind of the progression that, that I went on, right? It was just me kind of Solopreneur doing everything on my own. And then eventually we got to the point where the business was operating and making enough money where I could start building out a team and doing that.
0: And um, yeah,
1: so I think it'll be interesting to see your guys' journey uh, after this.
0: Well, perfect. Well, I'm glad that we were able to have you come in, Jay. Um, Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're super grateful for everything you've done. It sounds like this was a a really big win for everybody. It sounds like especially you've had a couple different... Thing moving parts over the last few weeks and few months, um, everybody has. And so it sounds like overall, there's a win and, and uh, a good transaction.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Yep. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, we're going to be able to share another story uh, of another win, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Jason, thanks for uh, joining us, and we're going to send everybody your way.
1: Thank you, guys. All right.